Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. Although things are slightly unsettled in some people's minds, let's face it, it is time to take a look back at the era of the last four years, the Trump era, because it is over. We thought we would look at what happened with music in the Trump era and perhaps look ahead to what music might be like in the great unknown of a Biden era that is laid out before us. And I have with me to discuss it, Rob Sheffield and Brittany Spanos. And I thought we'd start off, Rob wrote a great piece about a classic protest anthem, YMCA. (laughs) And it's great and freighted significance in this moment. Maybe we should start there with the songs of this very moment, the songs of the celebration over the weekend, the songs that are in the air, and we'll start with YMCA. What's the deal with YMCA, Rob? Who would have predicted that in 2020, one of the most politically charged and culturally divisive songs sort of a flashpoint for this crisis point in democracy would be a song about how it's fun to stay at the YMCA, the song about that. And yet something about YMCA, eternal song that has stuck around for so many years in festive celebrational modes and in so many parts of life that it became a really fraught issue during the campaign because of the uh, incumbent president uh, whose name I'm still in the habit of avoiding using whenever possible, but number 45. Uh, was using it on his campaign rallies, much to the displeasure of certain members of the village people. But the fact that YMCA, this gayest and most outrageous of disco anthems, would be something that would be used by uh, such an avowedly homophobic uh, president in his campaign rallies made it really an amazing thing to see YMCA reclaimed as a victory song after after the election. Well, I want to dig a little bit more specifically into YMCA, but you bring up the rallies, and yes, the current president was dancing triumphantly uh, to that song, especially after his bout with COVID. That went a little bit viral, and people were trying to claim it was cute, but your point is, yes, what does he see in a song like YMCA? And I would posit that based on his use of other songs, including Fortunate Son by Credence, that is the last song on earth, on any earth, in any multiverse, <laughs> in any universe, that he should ever be going anywhere near in that he is someone who used privilege to get out of serving in the Vietnam War, literally, uh, that he would routinely play this song and play it and then use it against footage of him arriving in a helicopter as if that, as, as if dredging up some kind of distorted memory of, of Vietnam movies or, or the Vietnam War, and that he would blithely use that. So what I would suggest is this. The president does enjoy music, but somehow, and I think it perhaps says something about him, there is no content to music for him. They don't mean anything. He is impervious to the meaning of of any of the songs that he likes. Um, And that includes, you know, he's a Neil Young fan. He went to Neil Young concerts. He enjoys it on some level that's very different (laughs) from most people. It's just, there is no content. Fortunate Son isn't about anything. YMCA isn't about anything. It it leads to some sort of nihilistic conclusions about uh, wider conclusions, but I I think there's something like that, or or he just doesn't care. But it it is fascinating. John Fogarty must have been, how much more explicit do I need to be? (laughs) This always seemed like a fairly pointed song. 
<laughs> Nobody ever accused that song of being a little subtle about how he feels about. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Trump is in every verse of that song. He gets three for three. Like he's he's the enemy of John Fogarty in all three of those verses. Yeah, I feel like all of the every single video and every single moment where he's kind of utilizing popular music in his rallies or in sort of like these like grand moments for himself, like I are so surreal. Like I think of maybe more than I would like to think of um, the video of when he found out that. Uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg had died and Tiny Dancer is blasting in the background as he gets off his plane. <laughs> it's just like going in the back. It's just like, why is this song playing? Like, did he choose this song to like play as he got off? He just like wanted to hear, you know, I I often like to listen to Tiny Dancer when I exit any type of vehicle or plane. But like, it was just like such a random thing to just like hear in the background. I think he just kind of, he said like he likes music, but he just like has no context for it or like what... <laughs> like why it exists or like why it's there. Like he just is like, this is a popular song that needs to evoke some type of drama in this moment in my life. He likes Elton John. That That's a, that's Unbelievable. a fact. Yeah. He would actually often cite Elton John in 2016 that his crowds were bigger, he would say, than Elton John specifically. Uh, and that Elton John needs a piano and he doesn't have a piano. <laughs> uh, and that was a weird one because Elton, a lot, sometimes he would say that about people who were vocally anti-Trump. But... In the case of Elton John, that was just someone he admired. Yeah. <laughs> so he was like someone he thinks of as, as, as it was the person when he thinks of big crowds. <laughs> That's who he thinks of. So unbelievable. I would love to get to the root of his village people fandom because he also really loves Macho Man. And the pinned tweet that he had on Election Day was a, a compilation video of him dancing to Macho Man as well at his rallies. Like he just like really loves these like two village people hits <laughs> to be like playing constantly which is just so of all the disco acts and of all of the like hit songs <laughs> to use in these moments it's like macho man ymca yeah rob maybe you could dig into back into this just the context of this group and the context of the moment and then how it turned into uh, it turned against itself as a celebratory song this weekend well, it's well because the Village People songs, they were designed to be anthemic and, and utopian and they're a fantasy of America, written by the Belgian producer who, uh, you know, the late great Jacques Morali, who came to hang out in, uh, in the gay clubs in uh, New York in the 70s and uh, was really intrigued by seeing um, dancers of all races and cultures you know, at places like the Anvil was a place he mentioned. That's where he saw the indigenous member of Felipe Rosas, like with the headdress. He used to wear the headdress costume to gay bars when he would go out because he was of Lakota and that was the thing he was working. And Jacques Morali had this beautiful story about seeing him and the cowboy dancing together and the construction worker. And he said, this is America where all these people are, you know, like, uh, and, you know, this is someone who, you know, was born and grew up in Belgium during the, the worst days of World War II. So the fact that these are very fantasies of America and pluralism and uh, and racial and cultural mobility in a way that, that they were very much designed as fantasies about America that really only a outsider could have written. But, you know, it's very strange to see this president whose main campaign issue was you know, 
uh, building, literally building a wall around the country to keep people from coming in, that you know, his theme song would be, you know, a song that was a love song to America written by a Belgian gay tourist in the 70s. I guess at least he didn't revive the use, uh, as Michael Dukakis did, of We're Coming to America uh, by Neil Diamond. Maybe that, that's where the cognitive dissonance would have gone too far. I remember hearing that at, at George W. Bush's first inauguration, though, unfortunately. I remember hearing Wayne Newton sing that song at the Lincoln Memorial. <laughs> <laughs> that was a very traumatic inauguration, Brian. It's, it's, Is that really a thing that happened? My lord. Yeah. yeah. Oh my yes, indeed. I was there. Um, it was eclipsed a few minutes later when Ricky Martin got on stage to, to dance with the you know new president then to uh, uh, his Ole 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 song. It wasn't Live in La Vida Loca, but it was still a traumatic moment on, on so many musical levels that I, but it, it, this is always the thing with politicians who love songs that, you know, they have committed their lives to campaigning against the people who make these songs and against the people who enjoy these songs. One of the all-time great moments of this sort of political musical cognitive dissonance is during the, the Senate race between Hillary Clinton and Rudolph Giuliani a, a sentence which in itself is such a time capsule to the Y2K era. But when Hillary Clinton was announcing her candidacy for to be the senator from New York, and they put on a CD, an actual aluminum disc with New York State of Mind on it, and New York State of Mind was playing at her announcement, and then they just let the CD keep playing, and the song after that is Captain Jack, a, a, a Billy Joel song that we could describe as worldly and jaded and maybe not the most wholesome family-friendly message of of uh, any billy joel songs the, the, the key and, line for those who are not uh, billy joel fans for those who lack both two ears and a heart uh is your sister's out on a date you just sit home and masturbate and at, at the time that would that raise some unfortunate bill clinton associations it was just it actually was and actually come to think of it it also it's another one of those things like the Obama tan suit scandal that remind you of how low the bar used to be for a multi-day scandal uh, before <laughs> the world completely lost its mind. That was, I Simpler mean, you can, times. yes, you can look this up. You can look up Hillary Clinton and Captain Jack and still see this was in headlines. This was an <laughs> actual story. But that was uh, 20 years ago and, and, and a lot has changed. Uh, before we completely get off YMCA, it, it's fun to stay at the YMCA as a topic of discussion. <laughs> um, just the bit about it being reclaimed over the weekend is such an amazing thing. I remember the, there's like a, a, an American studies cliche about like popular culture being t contested terrain. And I have to say that there is no more blatant example of that than this reclaiming. It's like, no, it's our song uh, that happened over the weekend. So maybe just, just break that down for yeah, us. Yeah, and, and, and it's one thing for people to be fighting over a song like Born in the USA, a song that people have been fighting against. You know, people have been fighting over claiming that song since it came out. Uh, it's very different when it's YMCA. And uh, it's funny, on Saturday... Well, you, know, you know, people, we've learned people make claims to things now that they have no earthly <laughs> right to be claiming. That is, uh, that is a thing. We won YMCA by a lot of votes. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But please go on, Rob. Sorry. Yes. Uh, with 100% of the precincts reporting, construction worker going, going absolutely for Biden-Harris. The, the cowboy, the Indian. Uh, we the, counted the, all the, the Y's. We counted all the M's. Exactly. 
it's you know got the news on Saturday like everybody 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 remembers where they were and and how they heard the news. Uh, just heard uh, screams and cheers going on in the streets outside my my window. I live in uh, North Brooklyn, and my wife and I we just said to each other, either a uh, Poland just won a soccer game or or they just called the election and and we knew that the Euro Cup isn't going on at the moment. So um we knew that this was what, what this was about and uh went to the park and there was you know a, in, impromptu crowds all over all over the country. People literally dancing in the streets. And uh there was a, a huge dance party going on at McCarran Park nearby and it was well because party in the USA as long as we were talking about Party in the USA was rocking FDT, the YG and Nipsey Hussle song that became sort of a, an official national anthem this week. But it, it was really wild when one of the songs that came out uh, right after Thank You Next, which is an excellent, you know, electoral victory song, never realized before, like, how perfect that is. <laughs> he didn't teach us love, patience, or, or anything, really. But it was really amazing that, you know, YMCA came on and to see everybody, you know, bursting into in, into village people worthy revelry at, at YMCA. It was like some songs just, you know, they go on forever and all these stories are, are there in the song. There's a lot to talk about. I, I did want to touch on FDT and protest songs. It may be the only song that sort of hit the nail on the head and was accepted as what it was meant to be. A lot of people kind of took shots at that uh, and they didn't land. But I think there's something there's something about the fact that it came from YG, who's a kind of underrated and totally unpretentious artist. He is who he is. And, and, the, and the Nipsey Hussle connection and that it's just it didn't kind of mess around. It's not um, th- there's very little metaphor in it. It's not it's not even as delicate as something like when the president talks to God, which is that great bright eyes song about uh, George W. Bush. No, it was just literally the title of the song. The course, is, it's just fuck Donald Trump. And it's a great song. People were actually there were viral videos of before it officially got called on Friday. There was there was some sort of like dance circles to FDT that I saw. People kind of jumped the gun at FDT. They were just they had that one. They had their playlist ready and they're just like let's go. But well, what? technically Pop Crave called it on Friday. So right, right. <laughs> so you're listening to Rolling Stone music now. We're just talking about some of the musical events tied to the almost concluded Trump era, and we'll be back with a whole lot more. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. Let's maybe talk about FDT. Why, why is that the one? I mean, there, there's, as we'll talk about, there are songs that fall into this category, but it was the most direct protest song against Donald Trump and the most popular of them. Uh, it, it's the one that really worked. Why, why is that? 
Besides the reasons I said. <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, it being so direct is so crucial to it. I think that especially, you know, obviously we'll get more into it, but like over the last four years, I can't think of a, a huge number of very like nail on the head, direct protest songs like that are just kind of like, this is it. I think a lot more of it was kind of inherent in actions from artists and inherent in like the sort of ways that certain voices and different voices were amplified in, t- in storytelling. But YG and Nipsey were like very much like we are talking about the president. <laughs> like we're not talking about anyone else. We're not talking about, you know, we just don't like him. And also if you think it also in the context of rap music, especially in the last like 10, 15 years, Trump prior to running was a very heavily referenced person in rap music. You know, I, you know, I think of like, up like Trump by Ray Schremer. Like there's like, you know, like just like references to him kind of pepper throughout. He's a very easy name to rap. Lots of things rhyme with it. It's like it kind of kind of fits into songs. He kind of is an emblem of a certain type of, you know, New York City person and a cultural figure in a lot of ways with right. the apprentice before, and everything. Yeah, before all this, I mean essentially his role in hip hop was to be like the rich guy you mentioned. Yeah. You know, like, like he that was, was just his, like yeah. the cartoonish rich guy that you would use as an example in something. And so that makes it even funnier is that he's always kind of been like this like jokey cartoon figure that you reference. And now you can kind of turn it into this like absolute bop, this like really fun kind of club rap song. And it's also a huge protest against how awful he is now and fits perfectly into that. Um, so it feels like a really, I mean, I, w- I don't want to say natural, but like it, it, you know, fits into the kind of, well, here's what he's become now. And this is also what he represents and now we can kind of turn him into this like you know cartoonish like you know fuck this guy like here's like a great song about how much we hate him and fit perfectly for the celebrations this weekend like there's anger in it but it's also just like really fun to say and really fun to just kind of like scream along to especially for people who went outside the white house and just got to like you know very jealous of everyone who got to scream fuck donald trump outside the white house over the weekend because that's the ideal place to do it I'm sure also there's a lot of, uh, you know, 60s protest singers are like, geez, we just could have said fuck this guy and it would have been a lot easier. Uh, <laughs> you know, it really cuts away a lot of the, the verbiage. Uh, but Rob, what do you make of it? It's like, oh, okay, Fortunate Son was too subtle for this right. guy to realize this song is about him. Fine, we'll take away any possible trace of subtlety. And uh, it, like Brittany said, like, you know, the fact that Trump shows up is this, in rap music always as this sort of proto ditty sort of uh, character and everybody's had the experience over the last four years of listening to a beloved old song and then doing the cringe when when you notice for the first time that trump's name is in it i mean no diggity just you know no diggity possibly the greatest song of the 20th century and it's just like we all had to put no diggity aside for a few years because there's just that you know reference to uh, to the character in the song being trump tight and it's like Ooh, no, you, ju- you just don't want to think about that stuff when you're listening to No Diggity. It's like maybe the, the ultimate indictment of his presidency that he actually like took the fun out of No Diggity for a few years. Have you, know, you at you... last no shame, sir? Yes, you, exactly. You, you... Exactly. <laughs> it's like at first they came for first, then they came, but then they came for No Diggity. No, no Passeron. Disgusting. There was this thing as this era dawned, you would hear some people... <laughs> naively say 
and kind of offensively to me say, oh, it's going to be great for art, man. It's going to be great for music. Like, you know, this is going to be such a, an artistic backlash and art is always good under like a sort of, you know, pseudo fascist situation. It's going to, it's going to rule. And it just, it was never going to be true. And it also, the appetite for the straight up protest song just isn't there for the most part. There was This Is America by Childish Gambino, which was more of a video than a song, really. I, I, I think even in the more time passes when you try to listen to it, for me, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but when I would try to listen to it without the video. Yeah, it's definitely more about the video. It, it like barely exists. Yeah. And, and the, the longer you go from the, me- and the video is like a brilliant work of art. I just, I just don't know if it's like really a song per se. And, uh, you know, Demi Lovato actually took a shot at a very direct uh, protest song with the commander in chief. And she said, I literally don't care if this ruins my career. Um, I didn't think it ruined her career. It was a little late. (laughs) The song came a little late. She released it on Saturday. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I don't want to give her that much credit. It came out like two weeks ago. Um, You know, shout out to Demi, but it came came a little late for the sake of our conversation. Like after Beyonce joined the campaign. Yeah. I, I love, nobody has such a like amazing track record of joining campaigns the day before election day. She's Dropping be- the Beto photo at like the eleventh hour. Yes, <laughs> votes were counted. Yes, absolutely. She is the queen of the undecided voter. Everybody's like, who is this undecided voter? There is one, and it is she. I believe she did get the song off before Lil Wayne decided to endorse uh, the president, though. If you're talking about yeah. weird last minute decisions, that that was actually I almost feel bad bringing that up because I think it's almost been memory hold already. But that was bleak. That was just bleak. It's not. It's not canon. It's not Wheezy <laughs> canon. It's, that's he doesn't remember. That was just a bootleg remix. He definitely yeah. does not remember doing that. So it, 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 it's fine. It didn't happen as far as far as he's concerned. And Lil Pump, Lil Pimp, yeah, aka Lil Pimp, according to according to uh, Trump, Lil Pump, who had basically like blown out his one hit wonder. Them <laughs> I didn't faster. know what he was yeah. doing. Yeah, he was he was yeah. saving up his. He was being an undecided voter and decided to come out for the Republican candidate like twelve days before the election. He thought that was a, a good move. Wouldn't you love to hear the the talks with his advisors? I'm sure there was no, no talks. No talk. I'm, I'm, I'm sure that's the moment that two chains said, okay, that's that's it. I have to get involved. He said, I'm different. Yes, he said, I'm different. Unbelievable. <laughs> two chains, the best campaigner. He should just, yeah, two chains 2024. I'm, I'm all in for the two chains presidency. Absolutely. He was absolutely great on the campaign trail. Put him in the cabinet. He's got a big mandate. So I call him big mandate. <laughs> I love two chains. We can all agree about two chains. He's the healing we need right now. Yeah. Um, how how great was the Joe Biden acceptance speech playlist? Just like the dad rock bangers all in a row. It was so beautiful that like he comes out like we take care of around without even the vocal. So you have to recognize the guitar riff to know what Springsteen song it is. And then it's, you know, it's Tina Turner, Hollow Notes, Tom Petty. It was a, a flawless, flawless playlist. It was really beautiful. Just like, like, but like just the way that people were utilizing music, especially Nicki Minaj and Gaga songs in on like the memes that were happening as everyone was sort of slowly unraveling in the very long Tuesday that we had. It just like was so incredible. Nicki Minaj definitely like in a lot of ways won the election just because she was so present in everything that was happening online in ways that were just so beyond anything else that I was seeing. <laughs> Absolutely. The electoral map of like if Biden won every place mentioned in Bees in the Trap 
in the last verse. Like, it was just, it was a beautiful thing. I think it was Jason Isbell who mentioned that Biden was on track to win every place mentioned in uh, Keep on Rocking Me, Baby by Steve Miller as well. (laughs) (laughs) It was all happening. I was going to get to the Biden era at the end, but let's just continue that thought for a second about, yes, the playlist at the fireworks and drone display. That's what that's what was doing all that. The amazing like writing Biden in the sky and stuff. People thought that was that that was actually drones, which is cool and creepy. Um, But yes, the playlist of unbelievably hilariously soothing music, just soother after soother. It's sort of like it's the it's the opposite of a banger or inclusive of a banger. It's just like I didn't realize there were that many super soothing songs that you could line up in a row. But you're right, Rob, maybe talk a little bit more about that and what it felt like and this sort of the genre that was that was sort of happening uh, there. So, So great. The sort of, you know, like 80s middle aged comeback hits. So, you know, like that that he's blasting out, you know, Tina Turner, simply the best. Like that was, you know, I mean, astounding to hear that used so unironically in, you know, in this kind of context. Um, when the Hall and song started, I just, it was probably the first really loud, intense laughing I'd done in a, in a few days. Um, but, you know, busting out You Make My Dreams Come True by Hall and uh, just a really funny Hall and pick. Um, I Won't Back Down by Tom Pet. I mean, I Won't Back Down and uh, the Tina Turner song, they have, you know, a, a sort of they have a chorus that you can sing along to in a vague, like, yes, this is a political campaign kind of way. Whereas you make my dreams come true. It's just pure hall and oatsiness. Yeah. It's like, I, I love all those songs. It's definitely very much like a kind of like dentist office, like as you're like, <laughs> getting like you know, like it's like soothing adult alt station is like playing <laughs> in the background. And it's like, you know, simply the best is happening. You're just like, okay, like I feel a little bit better about someone just like, jamming my teeth with like you know this like metal prod yeah <laughs> and i think that's the thing is it, it matched the vibe that they're going for which is lowering the temperature they found music that was both sort of exciting but also <laughs> also lowering the temperature yeah it was a, it was like a, a an upbeat dentist office like maybe when they're when they're prepping the tools at the dentist office kind of vibe uh Kamala harris walking out to mary j blige work that, which I guess she's used a bunch. It's, it's kind of her theme song. But when you consider the sitting vice president trying to walk out to something like that, I thought that was actually, there was a real power to, to that moment, as much as she's already used that song. Yeah, I mean, Kamala definitely, I feel like she's kind of going for the cooler kind of music taste angle. Sometimes not the best results to it, but I think Mary J is like a very, very solid, good choice in that situation. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, and then there was the embarrassing thing where Van Jones thought it was a Beyonce song that that was no good. That was really unfortunate. But we'll, we'll let that slide, I, I guess. Also, uh, also, also, I love how you know over the years we've gotten used to these Obama playlists and how like incredibly astute and like how serious he is about music and you know what a hipster he is. Um, so it's like, oh, okay, what's his favorite song on Rough and Rowdy Ways? Okay, like by Jimmy Reed. That's a you know, deep cut. Um, so it's really funny that like after, you know, like we're used to looking to uh, Obama as, as such a hipster tastemaker and, and pictured like 
you know, Joe Biden, all those years of writing shotguns, like, hey, maybe we could put in a hollow note CD next. Like, you know, like there's something that, that kind of gets to the heart of his avuncular appeal, you know, the way he always likes to say often verbatim in speech after speech about uniting and healing and working together. And there's something about, like Brittany said, the, the dentist office soothingness of the, you know, continuous light favorites of the, the 70s, 80s and today, you know, there's that sort of soft rock vibe is is very much on brand for him. Yeah, I mean, it's sort of this uh, this normcore vibe, just normative, down the middle, everything's going to be okay. The, the, the president as wedding DJ is a vibe that we've been starving for, you know? Like, the, the, the legacy of, you know, Bill Clinton's famous uh, acceptance speech in 1992, where, like, afterwards, they just played Don't Stop by Fleetwood Mac about 30 times in a row. And it was just that, it wasn't even the rest of Rumors. It was just that one song over and over, uh, a song that, for many of us, is permanently burned into, into that night and that moment. And it's just amazing that Biden has totally zeroed in on on that particular political vibe. And yes, beginning with Springsteen, as you said, Rob, that was no accident. Bruce has been deeply associated with some of the Democratic Party's iconography or most successful iconography for some time now, uh, or, or failed iconography in, this, in the case of John Kerry coming out to no surrender. But it's sort of like win or lose for the most part. Uh, there's been some Bruce involved. And uh, Bruce got behind this campaign, narrated an ad, allowed them to use the rising for a video during the DNC. Uh, so this was a little bit, it, it was a little bit of like, sort of like that America is back, like the Bruce America. Uh, the America that includes Bruce and Mary J. Blige is an America that hopefully most people can deal with. We're back at the VH1 Fashion Awards as as American Utopia. That's right. That's right. And and then possibly UMTV rap circa 1988 is about as is, is probably the, the most current we're going to get, but that's that's okay. We'll deal with it. <laughs> we also talked about the fact that a lot of sort of protest moments didn't come off. I think an early example of that we love talking about is Katy Perry's Slave to the Rhythm and the whole purposeful pop idea. It just turned out that people didn't really want purposeful pop. Uh, <laughs> not really. They just it wanted pop. It was also, pop. I constantly forget that that album came out and that song, or Change to the Rhythm, came out like literally in February of 2017. Like that was like, he had just been inaugurated. Like we were just kind of in, hell had just begun. Like, <laughs> like it was just like getting hotter and like, I think to a large extent, everybody did during this presidency, like they get a pass in, in terms of, you know, like, it's almost like this period isn't canon. It's almost like, well, retcon, you know, like this, these years out of, out of the pop like, canon. Well, it was the Trump era. So. Exactly. Exactly. Like <laughs> Katy Perry reinventing her brand as purposeful pop. We'll, we'll think of that as, you know, the fake Becky on Roseanne, you know? Yeah, or, it's like people explaining, like, their shoulder pads pictures from the 80s. Like, there's like, well, it's the 80s, like... Totally, <laughs> totally. What about uh, Love It If We Made It by the 1975? I, I don't... I was, I never felt that one, but some people... Uh, yeah, I mean, I like that song a lot. I just didn't find it as effective as, like, a protest song. Like, I think it was, like, you know, Maddie Healy just screaming a bunch of words, which I enjoy, but, like... I was like, it's not doing a lot <laughs> for me as like a, an anthem of like revolution, you know? 
I don't know if you can actually put modernity has failed us in a song. I, I just don't, I'm not feeling that as a song lyric by anyone, anywhere, <laughs> personally. I would go back to them and say, find a way to say that that would be like something someone would say in a song. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what someone's supposed to write about your song in a pretentious review of the song. Don't put that in the song. Uh, <laughs> does that song do anything for you, Rob? No, not a thing. <laughs> I, I have to admit, a deaf spot for me, the 1975. I think some of the, uh, you know, and I just spoke about uh, Kendrick Lamar on the show with Marcus J. Moore, who wrote a, a great book about Kendrick. And I mean, it's actually from 2015. The song All Right will be one of the enduring sort of protest adjacent anthems of our time. And that, that, that will last forever. I, I think like the, a lot of the music that we consider some of the best protest music of this era has really stemmed off of the Black Lives Matter movement, which began yes. during the Obama administration was pre-Trump. But I think given a lot of things that Trump was putting forth, a lot of rhetoric, a lot of um, his followers, a lot of the white supremacy that, you know, was always there, but became more to the forefront and a lot less of like hiding in the shadows of, you know, Nazism and Nazi language, where it just became like a regular part of our lives. I think um, some of the best protest music that has existed has been about Black Lives Matter, has been about, you know, this movement that began before Trump was president and then came to a head at the end of his presidency, which I'm glad we can say now, but like that really, you know, over the last several months has reached a, a real breaking point for everyone in this country. And so, you know, I think of obviously Kendrick, I think of Beyonce's Lemonade, which I, I think is has a lot of really excellent protest songs on there and also the visuals and everything about that album. And again, if you compare it to Beyonce self-titles from 2013 to that album in 2017, just kind of what we were expecting from our musicians over the course of the last four years has really become like, we need a lot of like talking the talk, walking the walk, believing in supporting these causes and believing in speaking out against actual fascism and actual kind of like very unhidden racism that's happening. And, of course, Little Baby's The Bigger Picture was another big moment. He kind of uh, took him all the way to the cover of Rolling Stone. With another, you know, just an, another super blunt uh, and eloquent song. And, and from, you know, and, and to a certain extent, not the kind of rapper that people expected it from for whatever reason. But, I mean, he, you know, he is one of the best uh, protest songs of the era. And, you know, it's just it's too many mothers is grieving. They're killing us for no reason. I mean, it's just like, again, hitting the, the nail on the head but we're jumping around in tone a lot um but uh, we we didn't mention uh, miss americana and the heartbreak prince which, which was taylor's effort which i dug i think it, it's you know it's it's a topical song i don't know if i would call that a protest song but it, it's the closest as rob has said there's there's all sorts of depending how you look at it there's all sorts of taylor swift songs that actually function as protest songs but this is her most directly political qua political song and uh, i i thought it was cool i always liked that one yeah and you need to calm down as well as you know uh, right sure yeah 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 and that, that's actually a yeah. great point i was thinking that actually that completely counts as well yeah. and taylor did one of the changes from and perhaps it made all the difference from between 2016 and 2020 is that taylor was vocally anti-trump 
uh, this time around. And then there was sort of like a, a you know, a, a Justice League of America of just musical artists coming out for the Biden ticket. And they, Gaga came out in the in the sort of last days of the campaign. I'm not, not sure it moved any votes, but it was a, a noble effort. And, and one of the things that yielded was was uh, Trump threatening to tell stories he knew about Lady Gaga, uh, which I, was, I will never get over. I want to know what he knows. What, what does he know? What does like, he know? It's like, it's like, I feel like, I feel like he stole my line. If you want God stories about Lady Gaga, like I could tell you some, but, but I mean, you know, they're all, they're all fun ones. Um, but I'm honestly, you know, it's incredible that after all the things of the last four years, that's what leaves me completely stuck for words. But what was, what the, what was he talking about? What was he even? What was he even hinting about? It, it was it just sort of a lizard brain reflex that if someone opposes you, you you hint at dark things. But I mean, you know, she's a pop singer. Like what? What oppo did he have? On, like we on, already know all of Gaga. it. <laughs> we know all. That's of it. kind of the brand. Like, that's 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 the feature, not the bug. Yeah, I listened to Joanne all the way through. She said a lot of stuff about herself on that album. So <laughs> I don't know what Trump thinks he has, but. That was incredible. He did take a shot at Bruce uh, earlier this year. He called him Little Bruce Springsteen, uh, which is very, very interesting. It was very specific, and he, I guess, he decided that he's a, you know, that, that he realized he's under five ten, and therefore he could. See, it's a, a very specific little insult. He's going to have a lot more time to uh, go through. Uh, Rolling Stone's 500 greatest albums of all time and come up with an insult for each and every one of the artists who opposed him so that that will be a good use of uh, his time. Alice Coltrane. Um, Well, let me tell you about um, (laughs) Does does Springsteen I was wondering when you're does Springsteen have any songs about Delaware? Does Springsteen have any songs about Delaware? It's very eccentric geographically. Not, not only does Bruce Springsteen not have any songs about Delaware, I'm not sure in the entire history of recorded music has anyone said the word Delaware in a song. If only Sufjan had finished his 50 States album <laughs> project. <laughs> we wouldn't have Delaware, this problem. Delaware, that state, you, occasionally you drive through it on a road trip and never stop there unless you need to pee. I don't know. It's just like, I don't, I don't know. That's, there's not a lot going on. But Delaware lacks some Nobody mythic, cares if uh, Mr. Residents. State Trooper pulls you over in Delaware. They're like, ah, forget it. Before we go, you know, I'm sure we could do an entire episode on where music's going to go in the Biden era. Besides a lot of Tina Turner, of course, but I think Brittany had a very specific idea. She knows. She knows exactly what's going to happen. I mean, happen, okay. So I want to hear. Let's this. think about the logistics around it, right? Hopefully, when Biden gets into office, we'll, he'll have like an actual plan about get us on a more reasonable timeline that matches other countries in the world where we are, can live and exist safely post COVID. When people get back to concerts, festivals. People are going to want to dance. They're going to want to be in like great environments. What better than an EDM festival for any sort of celebration? And I think much like during Obama's second term, EDM will make a massive comeback. I think we're going to have, you know, the rise of super DJs once more, the rise of raves all over the country. I want Skrillex to make a big comeback album. And that's my biggest hope for music in the Biden era is that we have a a comeback of EDM more than anything. I can't think of any genre that I think of more connected to the Obama administration than EDM music. And I (laughs) would like it to come back. I would like that nostalgia to exist and for people to be like, you know what? I want to hear more chain smokers, but like not chain smokers, (laughs) but chain smokers adjacent. That is genius. Absolute genius. More Calvin Harris, like 
more Skrillex, more uh, Zed, any Zed song. Where's, you know, where's a Zed Taylor Swift song? We haven't gotten it yet, but in the next few years, we might. The drop is coming. Yeah, on the Biden-Harris agenda, it's like number seven is revive EDM, enlist Britney Spanos <laughs> to... Bring back EDC New York for Britney Spanos and... We, we, need, we need Britney as secretary of EDM. <laughs> And just a new candidate, a new cabinet seat, just, you know, glow stick awareness among our youth. I have a, a, a 20 point plan for how we can get back there. <laughs> I will say to wrap up that after the 1918 pandemic, uh, what came after that in the following decade? Everyone was dancing, uh, admittedly, to jazz records in EDM is the jazz of our time. It, it is. Or, <laughs> Absolutely. Or maybe just, it's either the Charleston or EDM. One will reign in the next four years. We will find out. <laughs> and I, I think that is a perfect note to end on. It's been a wild ride in this episode to match the wild and disorienting ride we've been on in four years. But we're back in the Normcore dentist office and it's going to be okay. Rob Sheffield and Brittany Spanos, thank you for joining me. Pleasure as always. And this has been today's Rolling Stone Music Now. We'll be back next week here on SiriusXM's Volume Channel 106. In the meantime, we are a podcast. Download us as a podcast on iTunes or Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us five stars if you feel like it on iTunes and leave us a nice review if you can. Always deeply appreciated. But as always, thanks for listening. Do stay safe. And we'll see you next week. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Should we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was the three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord, we get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.